Well, good morning, church. Thank you. So good to be called by name. Thank you for that. Well, we've been going through the book of Revelation. And uh, recently, we've been going through each of the, the churches that Jesus had written letters to. And kind of going on the mail route that it was going around. And the last one is this morning, the seventh church. This is the letter to the church in Laodicea. Would you open up your Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 3? And would you stand with me as we read God's Word this morning? We'll start in verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14. says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Father, I ask that you would, would just continue to be here with us as we hear from your word this morning. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. O oh God, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. The Laodicean church is the church that makes Jesus sick. It's the self-sufficient church. It's the church that makes Jesus throw up. Out of all the letters that Jesus writes to the churches, everyone has at least one commendation, one thing at least that the Lord says, at least you've got this thing going on. Even Sardis, even though there was only a few believers there, there was at least an encouragement to them that they were doing something good and to hold on to something true that they had. Not so with the Laodiceans. There's no commendation, only rebuke. Let me give you a little bit of the history so we can understand the context of what's going on in Laodicea. Laodicea was a city that was not founded because of rich natural resources. It was a city that was founded because it was prime real estate. 
If you can imagine, there was a, a great big intersection, a road going this way on the Roman roads, lots of commerce. And there was a road going this way, and you could imagine if you, if you were the owner of a McDonald's franchise, where you might put that McDonald's. You would put it right, right there, right? Right at the intersection. That's Laodicea. That's where Laodicea is. It's not, not because of natural resources. It's because it's prime real estate. It's a location um, where it could be capitalized upon. So they did. It was a booming city. Banks and wool, fashion, all kinds of things were coming through there. Medicine, it was known for all these things. But it had a big problem. One of those natural resources that we need is water. We can go a long time. And look at this. The Lord is good and he has a sense of humor. That was awesome. Thanks, Steve. Steve's living right. You see that? So we can go a long time without food. We can go probably a couple months without food. But only a few days without water. We really need water. So this is a big problem. They're at this great prime real estate where all this commerce is coming in, and they're, they're booming financially, but they don't have water. But the Laodiceans say, you know what? We have some ingenuity. we got hard work. I can fix that. So they built aqueducts. And so that if foreign armies wanted to invade, they couldn't cut off the water. They, they wanted to bury the aqueducts underground. And so that's what they did. And there were two cities close by, one to the southeast, Colossae, and one to the north, Hierapolis. Colossae was in the mountains. And in the mountains, they had snow at the top. And they would have snow melt come down in streams. And the water was pure and ice cold and awesome. Hierapolis, the city to the north, had natural hot springs. And people would come and bathe in the hot springs and just soak it up. Even to this day, you can go to to Turkey and find these hot springs. And there were both... Both of these cities, Colossae had the cold, refreshing water, and Hierapolis had the hot water that you could bathe in, or even you could take a hot drink from there. I know Simps likes tea. I don't see Simps, but he can get some hot tea there in Hierapolis. Not so with Laodicea. By the time the water went through the, the aqueducts, no matter where it came from, it would end up lukewarm. And because it would pick up impurities over time, and because it was lukewarm, it had an emetic effect. Emetic effect. Is that right, Marcus? Am I saying that right? Emetic? In other words, it would make you toss your cookies. I think that's the medical. Is that right? Okay. Make you throw up. Cold water was refreshing. The hot water had healing properties to it. But by the time it would get to Laodicea, 
It was bad news. It was bad news. And Jesus says, church in Laodicea, you're like that. You know that water that you drink? You're like that to me. You make me sick. What is it about the church in Laodicea that makes Jesus sick? Well, he says it. He says it's because they say that they need nothing. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. They are a self-sufficient church. And a self-sufficient church is disgusting to God. It takes an attribute that only God possesses and gives it to created things. I've recently been reading a book that somebody gave to me called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. And Tozer says this about, the, about sufficiency. He says, Among all created beings, not one dares trust, not one dare trust itself. God alone trusts in himself. All other beings must trust him. Unbelief is actually perverted faith, for it puts trust not in the living God, but in dying men. The unbeliever denies the self-sufficiency of God, which is true, and usurps attributes that are not his. This dual sin dishonors God and ultimately destroys the soul of man. It's a double sin to be a self-sufficient person because it dishonors God and it says, God, you don't have this quality. It's actually me. I'm the one who can do without. I don't know if you've ever fasted before, but it, um, I just encourage you, you know, if you're having problems grasping this, just fast for one day and see if your body isn't screaming at you, hey, you, I need food. God doesn't need that. He doesn't need a single thing. We know that Laodicea was once a church of genuine believers. So how did they get to this disgusting state? One thing, personal responsibility taken too far. How many of y'all know that personal responsibility is a good thing? It can be. It can be a good thing, right? If you're raising up kids, you want them to have personal responsibility. You want them to take on more and more responsibility. And it's kind of cute to watch a little four-year-old, you know, trying to dress themselves and they go out into the world looking crazy. <laughs> they may try, you know, to, to open the car door with all of their might, you know, and they're torquing their body against the car. Something that you could do with just a flick of the wrist. They want to strap themselves in. They want to get into the driver's seat. They want to put you in the back seat and strap you in. At some point, personal responsibility can go too far into this thing that's called rebellion. And that has to be addressed. And Jesus is lovingly doing that. Second Thessalonians 3.10 says, If you will not work, you shall not eat. 
personal responsibility. Good stuff. How do we know when personal responsibility has gone into that realm of rebellion? It's a narrow road, this road with Jesus. It's a narrow path. One way that we know that Laodicea had gotten off the rails, in A.D. 60, there was an earthquake that hit Colossae, Hierapolis, and Laodicea. Rome sent help, offered aid to all three cities after this big earthquake that decimated the cities. Hierapolis and Colossae says, appreciate you, FEMA. Bring it on. Laodicea said, no, I'm good. Appreciate you. We're going to rebuild ourselves. This gives you a glimpse of the, the attitude of Laodicea. When we stiff arm God, our personal responsibility thing has gone too far. Another thing is valuing the gift more than the giver. Jesus addresses this church by saying that he is the amen. We sang about amen this morning. Amen means let it be so. The promise is going to be fulfilled. The Bible says that in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and amen. And, and in the Old Testament, the God of truth was the word, the God of amen. Or amen. Jesus is the amen. And he's also the beginning of all creation. Not to be confused with the created being. If you read the, the entire uh, New Testament, you can't get it twisted. Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. And so he's the giver of good things. But the Laodiceans wanted to settle for the gifts instead of the giver. They had gold because of the banks. They had wool that people came from all around to get this black wool. They had medicine, this stuff that they could wipe on their eyes. Who knows if it worked? But these things, maybe they were, maybe they were good gifts. Maybe they were part of God's provision for them. But self-sufficiency blinds us to the goodness of the maker and giver of every perfect gift. When you receive something good from God, it's supposed to be followed by thanksgiving, by gratitude and praise to him. The third thing is that they had comfort. All these things were giving them comforts that the cities around them didn't have, especially the churches. If you remember the, the other letters, a lot of the churches were poor and were being kicked out of synagogues or being called the, the least, and they were being persecuted. The church in Laodicea could sit back, and they had everything you could ever imagine. The amen keeps his promises. They wanted comfort, and comfort can lead to compromise and cowardice. Does this church sound familiar, by the way? These same things that Laodicea had, we have as temptations in our culture. Cowardice. Cowardice. Being cowardly. Mm -hmm. Coward. But the amen, he keeps his promises. And he is the faithful witness. 
is how he described himself. Sometimes we can think of comfort as being air conditioning. We can think of it as being hot springs. We can think of it as having lots of material wealth. But sometimes comfort is just doing what I want to do. We were out sharing the good news yesterday, and we came across this, this young, young man who said that he was a believer, but he didn't, he didn't think that all Christians were supposed to share their faith. And when we got to why, why that is, it seemed like the, the, the answer was just fear. And I think that's a natural response. Anybody, anybody struggle with that? As far as you want to share your faith, but you have just fear, right? The, the good news can be offensive, and we don't want anybody to reject us. We, my thing is, I'm, I'm, I struggle with small talk. I don't know how to go from, I don't know this guy, to now we're best friends. I don't know how we get in there. And so I, I've done sports and things like that helped me to kind of get into having a conversation with somebody. And so I was even concerned about that going out yesterday. But the Lord saw fit to, set, to uh, pair me up with Debbie Johnson. And Debbie, you have a great gift of just going right in in this very natural, cool way. I don't know. Like she, Before we know it, bang, we're in there like talking to people. I don't have that. But thank the Lord that she does. Thank the Lord that he gives, he gives the gifts on time, right? And when we go out, the Lord gives us what we need. So God will provide. It's our, it's our thing to be obedient to what he says. God doesn't want the self-sufficient church. He wants a church full of individuals who are froggy. I just said froggy, yeah. I'm remembering back in the 90s, there were these bracelets. Ross, you probably remember this. Frog, you remember that? Fully rely on God. You don't remember that? Uh-huh, see there. Frog, fully rely on God. God wants a church full of people who are fully reliant upon him. And if that helps you remember, ribbit. Does your full reliance upon Jesus, does it show up in your life? Does it show up in your prayer life? If it does, I think there may be a couple of things that could be cues that reliance upon Jesus is showing up in your prayer life. First of all, if you pray at all, <laughs> it is showing dependence upon God. It's, right. it's, it's, it's saying, I don't have the answer, but I know that you do. So just the act of prayer is dependence upon God. But then once you get there, Sims talked a couple weeks ago about intimacy and about how not, we're not just petitioning all the time, but we're just acknowledging who God is and being thankful and adoring him and maybe just sitting in his presence. Do you have that kind of intimacy in your prayer life? Do you have passion in your, in your prayers? Sometimes we can just 
Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, Lord. You know, and just kind of mumble out our prayers like this. And, you know, sometimes when you wake up in the morning, you have to remember that you're a Christian, and, you know, that may be how your prayers come out. But Psalms, and all through the Bible, are filled with prayers of passion, with emotion, the highs and the lows. And that can show that you have dependence on the Lord. What about persistence? Do you have persistence in your prayer? Like that widow who wouldn't give up. Do you know that God is that good and that he will hear you? Does it show up in how often and how you read God's word? I work with an organization sometimes that they give security briefings when they're in countries where there's a lot of insecurity. And every morning you have to get that security briefing because there may have been a shooting, people may have been abducted, these sorts of things. You don't want to miss out on the security briefing. Do we read God's word with the urgency of a security briefing? Do we read God's word with the anticipation of a love letter? That these are the things that God, the one who wants to come in and sit with me and meet with me and sup with me, that he's written these things to remind me how much he cares for me. Do we read his word in that way? And then do we read the word of God with total submission? That if there's ever a disagreement between what I think and what the Bible says, we go with this. Or do we play word games? We can get real cute. The Lord has said some things that are very plain in his word, and we can negotiate ourselves around it because what we want, we want our own way. And some of us would even call it humility and say, well, I don't really know when the Bible is very clear that it's told us exactly what he means. Don't fool yourself. Don't get too cute. Submit to the word of the Lord. A couple accused that your life may be riddled with self-sufficiency, self-reliance are these two things, dissatisfaction and destruction. First, dissatisfaction. Are you prone to anger and fits of rage? Do you find that your life is just one disappointment after another? You may wonder why there is resistance to all of your efforts. I want to remind you that the, the Bible says over and over again, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Maybe that opposition you feel is not the world, is not the devil. Maybe it's the Lord himself because you're trying to do it your own way. In destruction, a life of self-sufficiency is riddled with destruction, avoidable things. I'm reminded of the story of Abraham and Ishmael. You remember this story? God made a promise to Abraham. He said, through you, I'm going to bless all the world. 
Your descendants are going to be like the stars. But Abraham got impatient with the promise of God. And he said, I must be missing it. Maybe I can do it this way. And he ends up with Ishmael. And there was destruction and generations of destruction. But the most dangerous thing is that a self-sufficient Christian is an oxymoron. If we're living a life of reliance upon ourselves, it's doubtful that you really have or that you have ever had a real relationship with Jesus. Jesus issues a very stern warning in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. I'll preface it with this. There was a word that came during the middle of worship that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Some of those confessions will come in a timely manner in that person's lifetime. And some will come not out of a heart of submission to the Lord. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are sobering words of Jesus. This morning we may be, we may be remembering our own kind of Christian highlight real is going on in our mind. Oh, but I, I did this and I did that and I did this and I did that. Do you know him? Do you know the Lord? Have you shut Jesus out this morning? Are we a church who has shut Jesus out? Are you a Christian who has shut Jesus out? Have you ever let Jesus in? Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I'm knocking. There's a stained glass up here. If you're a Christian and you've been stiff-arming the Lord in any, in any way, maybe there's, there's areas of your life where you're fully dependent upon the Lord, but then there's this other thing that you're not. Here's what Jesus' call is to you. If you know him, repent. If you're a Christian and you have been believing the lie of your self-sufficiency, your own self-reliance, repent. Dr. W.N. Clark talks about repentance in the life of a believer this way. Perpetual repentance is simply perpetual fellowship with Christ. It's over and over again. Those of us who become comfortable with this idea of repentance over and over again, you will, I guarantee you, you will see the life of the Lord Jesus coming in and sitting with you and eating with you, and you have a sweet fellowship with the Lord. If we become accustomed to repentance, when the Lord says, that, uh, that thing, no, give me that. And we go, I'm sorry, Lord. Sorry about that. And then he says, come on, let's go. This is the way the Lord speaks to us as believers. Over and over and over and over again. 
When's the last time that you've repented? He's calling you, Christian, to repentance today. When we see this picture, I don't want us to think... Some, I think I was maybe talking to one of the kids, and they were like, uh, yeah, when Jesus is knocking. Maybe, maybe it's cold out there. Maybe it's raining, you know? God is self-sufficient. He's not knocking because he needs something from you. He's not knocking because he needs you. He's knocking because he wants to give you the greatest gift of all. Fellowship with him. Forever. Can you imagine that the God of the universe, the one who spoke and everything, that he wants to hang out with you? Can you believe that? Can you imagine that? Christian, sometimes we forget that that's what we're doing. And I want to encourage you when we take communion a little later on, I want you to remember that that's that's what's going on, this fellowship with the Lord. That's what he's inviting us into. That, that Jewish way of having dinner together was this long, drawn-out thing. It wasn't just, you know, we pull up the TV trays and we put on Netflix or something. No, it was hours of sitting together and talking with one another, looking people in the eyes. I know we, in, in the whole pandemic thing, we forget about the intimacy of rubbing shoulders and hugging and sitting close to one another. This is what the God of heaven and earth wants to do with you and me. And that blows my mind. If you're not sure, if I read that Matthew chapter 7 passage and you're not sure today that you know that you're a follower of Jesus, his call to you is the same today. Repent. Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about repentance this way. This is kind of a lengthy quote, but I think it's good. Repentance means you realize you're guilty, a vile sinner in the presence of God, that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God, that you're hell-bound. It means that you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you, and you long to get rid of it. And you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the the cost, the world in its mind and outlook as well as its practice. And you deny yourself and take up the cross and go after Christ. Your nearest and dearest in the whole world may call you a fool. Or say you have religious mania. You may have to suffer financially, but it makes no difference. That is repentance. The true self-sufficient one wants to offer you fellowship today. And his word there says at the end of this letter that he also wants to offer you a seat on his throne when your life is through here. Would you go after him today? Would you answer his call And say, Lord, I need you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you today. We're thankful for the provision that you made. That wretched, 
vile sinners who waved our fist in your face, that you would still offer love toward us, that while we were yet sinners, that Christ died for us and gave us the, the best exchange we could possibly ever ask for, all of our sin on Jesus, that you would take the wrath that's supposed to be on me, that you would take that upon yourself. Lord, if there is one here this morning who's never tasted and seen your goodness, Lord, I pray that the fear of you would wash over them and be reminded today is the day of salvation. That, Lord, they wouldn't walk out of here not knowing whether or not they, they absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, know the King of kings and the Lord of lords that they have communion with you, that they can talk with you, that they can cast all their cares upon you because of what you have done for us in Christ. Lord, I pray that you would call people to repentance today. Lord, each one of us, Lord, in, in, in separate ways, Lord, for those who've never known you, that they would cry out in repentance, Lord, knowing what they're headed towards and say, is there any other way? And they would, be, they would know that the only way is through the shed blood of Jesus, that they would make a decision for you today and not put it off any longer. And Lord, for the Christian, Lord, who's, who's been trying to do things in their own strength, Lord, I pray that they would repent from that, Lord. Your word says to trust in the Lord with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding. In all our ways, acknowledge you and you will direct our paths, Lord. We trust you that you will do that. We cry out to you, our all-sufficient King, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.